on carrying on. I don't, I don't mean to be harping on regarding the lessons that I've been learning from Deuteronomy about Israel and the entry into the promised land and, and how, how it applies to us and our context. Um, I see, though, within the nation of Israel the same similarities of my own failings, of my own mistakes, of my own misunderstandings. And, and yet through that all, I see the grace and the love and the, and the mercy of God manifest toward them and experience that same grace and love and mercy demonstrated toward me as well. And I'm really encouraged how God goes out of his way because of his love to equip his people to live in victory, to equip his people for the living in abundance. So this morning, I want to do one last message from Deuteronomy because over the next three weeks, we have some guest speakers, two from, from our church family, and then we have Brother Bob Mendelson from Jews for Jesus coming back in the third week. But this will be the last message from Deuteronomy for this time at least. As we look at, in Deuteronomy, what I call the blessing of what we get to do with God. I'm going to say it again, what we get to do with God. So if you want to close your eyes and, and bow your heads, we'll open in a word of prayer as we look into one Bible verse today and see what the Lord has to share with us from the Scriptures. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your grace and goodness. I thank you for your mercy manifest toward not only me and my family, but for GCC as a whole. And we do pray for those within our church that might still be feeling disconnected, that might be feeling isolated, that might be feeling alone, that you'll make yourself known to them even now, and that you'll make it known to them through us as their brothers and sisters, through your very presence, through your word, and that you'll make yourself just known to them. So, Father, we, we ask as we look into your word this morning that you would be glorified, that you would minister to each of us no matter where we're at, that you would just reveal yourself in such a big way where we might be just caught up in the greatness of your love. Please help us now by your Spirit, and in Jesus' name, amen. If you turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 7, we're going to look at one verse from Deuteronomy chapter 7 today, but... Up to now, in Deuteronomy, we have Moses who is recounting to the people their past, um, the things that they've gone through, like the spies being sent out, their rebellion against the Lord, the, the wilderness wanderings, their victories over like the king of, uh, the king of Bashan, Og, and, and Sihon. Uh, we have uh, the dividing of the land. We have even Moses' rejection because of his disobedience, his rejection from entering into the promised land. And then you have, that's all in sort of like chapters 1 through to 3. And in chapter 4, you have like this call to the people to obedience. You have God establishing his sovereign authority, his place of sovereignty in Israel. You have these practical instructions that are then laid out as to how they are to conduct themselves as a society, as a nation. Um, you have like the cities of refuge that are put in place. You have the reintroduction of God's law. You have the charge to families like in Deuteronomy 6 about the raising of children, etc., etc. And so then we come to Deuteronomy chapter 7. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, there are some specific exhortations 
as to what they must do with the Lord in order to claim and live in the land of abundance that he has promised them. Okay, specifically, sorry, you know, the, in the driving out of other nations. So this is what we come to in chapter 7. So it's this, this exhortation about how, or the exhortation about what, they must now do with the Lord in order to claim and to live in the abundance that was promised to them. Okay, and, and that specifically is in the driving out of foreign nations. The driving out of, of these inhabitants that were already there. So, how are they going to go about this? And this is the one verse I want to look at today. And that is Deuteronomy 7, verse 22. And this is what we read. <clears throat> the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. I want you to remember that as we go through it. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once or the wild animals will multiply around you. That's it. But in this single verse, we're going to look at several things that apply to us, or prayerfully will apply to us as we enter into 2022 and look at living in abundance as well. The first thing is this. The first truth is this. If you've got a pen, write this down. The understanding of whose side we're on. Let me just say that again. The understanding of whose side we're on. The verse begins with these two words, the Lord, the Lord. The Lord there is the word Yahweh, or we interpret in English as Jehovah. In the book of Deuteronomy, it's used 400 times, over 400 times. It's a name that points to the, the self-existence, to the self-sustaining eternal nature as the Lord. It's a name that declares that all purpose, that all meaning, that, that all identity is found within himself. For us, our identity, our meaning, our purpose is found in other things. We always find it in other things. But for the, the very self-existent, self-sustaining nature of the Lord is that it's all found within himself. He is called the great I Am. In Exodus 3, because he just is. That's it. He just is. And when you read and say Isaiah 45 verse 18, we read this. This is what the Lord, Yahweh, says. He who created the heavens. He, who, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth. He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. That's it. He who is self-sustained, self-existent, he whose all meaning and identity is found within himself, we read here that he created all things to be inhabited. There is no other. So, so when you look at the sheer magnitude of what he is capable of, of what he does, this is the one whose side we are on as his people. The greatness of it, he who fashioned the heavens. You read in, in Isaiah 40, 26, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host. He who brings out the starry host. I googled the, the size of the known universe, and apparently, according to Google, it is 40, 46.508 
billion light years. Right, the radius of it, sorry, should I say? The radius of it is 46.508 billion light years of the known universe. And we are told in this verse of, of Isaiah 40:26 that he calls each star by name. That's amazing. That's the magnitude of, of his greatness. He knows each star by name. We were told that he who fashioned the earth and all its beauty, when you read in Genesis chapter 1, you, you see how this creation now groans and travails while creation itself awaits its redemption that only God can bring, if you read in Romans 8.22. He is the Lord who stands and is exalted above all. He is beyond our human capacity to fully comprehend. But in the scriptures, but in creation, but in the starry heavenly host, we are given a glimpse of, of how great he is. We're given a glimpse of his, of his sheer magnitude. And we're given this glimpse in order to know how big a deal it is that we, of all people, can call him my God, that we can call him my Lord. Uh, Job um, 37 verses 23 and 24 says this, the Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness, he does not oppress. Therefore, people revere him. For does he not regard all, sorry, does he not have regard for all the wise in heart. That's amazing. The Lord who is great and magnificent. To repeat Isaiah's words to the people of Israel, he says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you? Have you not understood? Isaiah 40, verse 28. This is the Lord whom we know. This is the Lord who we can call our Father. This is the Lord who, according to S.M. Lockridge in his message, That's My King, we read that he is enduringly strong. He is entirely sincere. He is eternally steadfast. He is immortally graceful. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. He is unparalleled. He is unprecedented. He is indescribable. He is incomprehensible. He is invincible. He is irresistible. That phrase, you can't outlive him and you cannot live without him. See, this is the Lord as described by himself. But it's the next two words that should have an impact. It should have an impact on us. Why? Because we have a little glimpse into his position in those first two words, the Lord. But in the next two words, it excites my heart. He says, the Lord, your God. I want you to embrace the beauty of that truth. The Lord, your God. God here is the word Elohim. It's the, the supreme creator of all, is the almighty, is the all-powerful, is the most high but it's preceded by this one word. We've looked at the Lord, the self-existent, self-sustaining, eternal one, who is almighty, who is all-powerful, who is the most high, preceded by this word, your. 
your God. It is the Almighty identifying with His people. It is the Almighty acknowledging us as belonging to Him. It is, it is the great God that is the stating that of not only belonging, but that of acceptance, that of recognition, that of acknowledgement of, of us who are so undeserving. You know what that word is called? It's called grace. It's called grace manifest to us that him who is so great and high would consider someone as lowly as us, as, as me. And Job I'm sorry, forgive me. In Psalm 138, verse 6, we read this wonderful passage. Through, sorry, though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. You want to change that word, them. Though lofty, he sees me from afar. What is that called? Grace, what is man that you are mindful of? Grace, grace in the context of, of, of all that he is, of everything he encapsulates, and all his magnificence, and all his majesty, and all his power, and all his, his goodness. He directly states for the benefit of the people, for the benefit of, of us, that I am yours. As the transcendent God above all creation, he says, I am yours. As the creator of heaven and earth, he says, I am yours. As the almighty redeemer and deliverer, he says, I am yours. As the preeminent, all-powerful, holy judge, he says, I am yours. That is an amazing expression of, of grace and love shown toward us who is so undeserving. And yet he does so. He does so because of his love for us. You see, the phrase Lord is mentioned, like I said, I don't know, 440 times roughly in the book of Deuteronomy. The combination of these four words, the Lord your God, that is mentioned 249 times, specifically looking at the relationship, the connection, the identifying that the Almighty chooses to make with us who are so undeserving. You see this example with Jacob, who was called Israel. Jacob, in Deuteronomy 32, verse 10, we read, In a desert land, he, God, found him in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him as the apple of his eye. This is referring to Jacob. This is referring to Israel. This is referring to grace. And, and the greatest example of such grace, the greatest example of such favor is manifest toward you and I just as it was to Jacob in the person of Jesus Christ. S.D. Gordon, S.D. Gordon said this, quote, Jesus was God spelling out himself in a language humanity could understand. God was spelling out himself in a language humanity could understand. Because we were in 
a desert land of, of sin and lostness. And in that lostness, we could never know our true purpose or never know our true meaning or never know our true destiny. But God, we are told in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, sent Jesus into that desert, the expression of his great love toward us, into that barren and howling waste of our own sinfulness to deliver us from this desert of sin by his death on the cross. That is grace. And that if we trust in him who loved us, who died for us, who rose again, that we might come to know him personally and be known by him personally too. That we could take this position that Deuteronomy 4 verse 39 says, that we can acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And that he is our God and that we are his children, that we are on his side. I've got this movie that I watch called Cromwell, about Oliver Cromwell, but I've shared this quote before, but he said when going into battle, somebody said God is on our side, and he said every nation that goes to war believes that God is on their side. It makes me wonder if God ever thinks who is on his side. We are on his side. Because of Jesus Christ, we are recognized by him as his son and as his daughter. So we need to understand that. We need to understand whose side we are on. The Lord our God. But as you read further on the verse, we, we also need this. The, the knowledge, the knowledge of what, of how, and of why the Lord will do for us. The what, how, and why of, of what the Lord will do for us. Carry on reading the verse for me. Here's the what. The Lord our God, here's the what, will drive out those nations before you. How? Little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once. The why? Or the wild animals will multiply around you. Okay. Firstly, the what. The scriptures teaches that can well, sorry, the scriptures teach us continually that the battle is the Lord's. Numerous times. I don't want to give you three. Okay, Moses explaining to Israel in Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. David in his confrontation with Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, verse 47. It is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. In Yahaziel, his proclamation to King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The Israel has a history of these truths being played out in real time, not just in principle. It is not by strength that one prevails, according to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, but it has happened by his spirit. We all know Zechariah 4, 6. Not by, might or power, but my, not by might or by power, but by spirit, says the Lord. Thus we are to join the psalmist when he says, I put not my trust in my bow, nor my sword, because it doesn't bring me victory. Psalm 44, verse 6. 
So, for the children of Israel that are going into the promised land, this principle is that it's the Lord that goes before them. It is the Lord that drives them out. It is the Lord that will, will give them victory. It's something that he says to them, like about the Lord going before them and driving them out, something he says 12 times throughout Deuteronomy. If God be for us, who can be against us, Paul says in Romans 8.31. But it is of note that, secondly, if this is the what is, what he will do, he'll drive them out. The thing is how. And he drives them out. And the way he, I was saying, he's already given them the victory, but he drives them out. Little by little. He gives them their victory incrementally. That's a flash word, but but by a little bit at a time. And I've never realized how many times I've read through Deuteronomy and I've, I've overlooked these three words. It's been overlooked in my reading because it's, it's saying it's not instantaneous. It's not a massive eradication, just wiping everybody out in one hill like a, like a Thanos, a snap of the fingers. It was a gradual step by step, little by little, taking over the land that was promised to them. And we see this little by little journey laid out for us in the book of Joshua. Now, is this an admission of God's limitations? Not at all. Is this an admission of how in some areas God may be powerless? Never, never. See, this little by little phrase is followed by another sentence that that speaks to the restrictions that God chooses to put on his people. It's restrictions, it's a holding back, not because he's incapable, but for the benefit of those who are receiving it. You read, you will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once. This is the wise imparting of a loving caring authority that has the interests of his people in mind. Think about this when you read through the scriptures. Um, think Noah and the ark. It took him 120 years to build the ark when he, when he, he judged, placed judgment on the world. But why did he wait 120 years? It wasn't because Noah was building the ark, but it was for the benefit of humanity that in the expression of his love, he was providing a means by which people could escape, not escape, that people could, could avoid his judgment if they believed. Think Israel. God chose to use ten plagues while they were in Egypt. Ten plagues. He could have just used one. Why didn't he just jump to the, the, the tenth one and, and, and sold it all then? Why? Well, it was for the benefit of his people and the revelation of himself to all that were involved. Not only Israel, but for the Egyptians as well. he done so so that people would be bear witness to his greatness and bear witness to his mercy at the same time. Think of Jesus, promised way, way back to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15, a culmination of his birth in Bethlehem, and then 30 years later when he gets nailed to a cross, 30 years of, of walking the earth, three hours of hanging on a cross, and it was done all 
for humanity, so that humanity would witness the greatness of his love for all humanity, for you and for me. And that salvation from sin can only be found in him and in him alone. It was little by little, step by step, all according to his plan. That's the how. And then you look at, thirdly, the why. Why does he do, do it in such a manner? Why does he take a little bit at a time? And I think it was because this. Martin Luther said this, that humanity cannot exist in a vacuum. That when there is one thing that is removed, something else must take its place. Must take its place. We're told in the scriptures to put off the old man in order to put on the new. We're told in the scriptures to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us in what? Look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In this case, it was the driving out of all the nations before the children of Israel. Yes. Little by little. Yes. Because if it was done in one whole, we read this at the end of the verse. Or the wild animals will multiply around you. So the nations that were wiped out, sure, they might have started all over from scratch. But it meant that there would have been an overgrow of wild animals that would take... Um, one commentator said this, quote, Israel would have needed a much larger standing army to control the whole land. In unoccupied territory, wild beasts would multiply and run rampant, creating further problems for settlers. Gradual inroads into enemy-occupied territory allowed Israel time and opportunity to train the next generation. So you see, from a human perspective, I can understand why that was done a little bit at a time. But this is what happens in Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 to 45. We read of an instance where an impure spirit leaves a person. It goes out seeking somewhere for rest. And when it doesn't find it, in verse 43, it returns and brings with it seven more spirits that were more wicked, making that person worse off than before. You read in verses 44 and 45. But this is why, this is why it's so important for us to have the foundation of Jesus built on his word, secured by his spirit, but that it's done a bit at a time. It's, it's a bit at a time. It's, it's a development. It's a gradual growth. It's, it's, uh, I've used this illustration before. It's like when David was anointed as king, he didn't go straight to the throne, but rather went on, well, God took him on a journey that developed his character, that developed his person, so when he did reach the throne, he was in a position to be able to handle that responsibility as king. So too with us. It's little by little. It's step by step. It is incremental change that God brings about as we rely on him. So now, we've got the, 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 the what, the how, and the why. Let's, let's sort of transpose what we see there and move it to our context here today as we look at practical applications for our Christian journey. If we are to liken the promised land as believers in Jesus to the land of abundance that Jesus promised us in uh, John 10.10, 10, um, when the, this life of victory in, in 1 Corinthians 15.57 and this life of peace, John 14.27, then when we look at that's what's been promised us, joy in, in the Lord, peace in the Lord, victory in Christ. If that's what's been promised us, 
then when we look at the strong enemies that may be inhabiting that land that prevent us from experiencing that fullness, it might be, I don't know, it might be in the inhabitants of, of discouragement, it might, be, it might be apathy, it might be disappointment, it might be selfishness, it might be ungodly compromise, it might be like a dryness with our own spiritual life, it might, be, it might be mistakes that we have made and the list goes on. But that same principle applies when we read, just like the children of Israel, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. He has given us victory over all these things by the cross. He has caused us to triumph over the enemy in Jesus' name. He has secured our position as overcomers by the Holy Spirit. He has made it so that in our weakness, His strength empowers, and in our failings, His grace delivers. That's in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. See, we all know this. We all understand this. We all see the simplicity of this now. For me, at least, I add to that truth these words. Little by little, you'll not be allowed to eliminate them all at once. It changes some of my attitudes and expectations that I place on myself in my relationship with Jesus. You see, when we're born again, there are some things that take place immediately. Um, we're given a new heart. You know, a new heart, our flesh, our heart of stone is taken out, and a heart of flesh is placed in Ezekiel eleven nineteen. We are given a new position, seated in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus in Ephesians one three. We are we receive forgiveness and of sin and redemption in Ephesians one seven. We are given a new citizenship, Ephesians two nineteen. We are given a new kingdom from the kingdom of this this world to the kingdom of his dear son in Colossians one thirteen. We have a new purpose, Second Corinthians. 5.15, that we no longer live for ourselves, but to him who loved us and gave himself for us. We're given a new life, 2 Corinthians 5.15, you know, we're new creations in Christ. All things have passed away, behold, all things make become new. But the little by little things, those things happen immediately by the grace of God, by the power of Jesus Christ, through the cross, then it's done for us. But the little by little things, the little by little things that we're not allowed to eliminate all at once, that's called growth or development through our own sanctification. It is the developing and shaping and molding that the potter does with his clay in Jeremiah 18. It is us as his workmanship walking in the ways that he has ordained for us to walk in, Ephesians 2.10, and he works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. You see, this is what we get to do with the Lord. This is the active role of following his lead as he drives out the nations before us that inhabit the inhabitants, the, sorry, inhabit the abundance that he has promised us. And that is done through submission to his will, through obedience to his word, through dependence on his spirit. And, and when we fail and when we fall, when we, when we feel like giving up, the same God that expresses his love by going before us and, and, and driving out our enemies is the same God that loves on us and that picks us up and that comes alongside and that dusts us off and says, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. For those who have been called who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours.
and abundance. That's the blessing. That's the privilege. That's the wonderful opportunities made available to us in Jesus Christ. I pray that as we go from this morning, go from today, we would just understand whose side we're on. That we would understand the greatness of who He is, the Lord our God, and then be brought to the revelation of, of what He is doing, driving out those nations before us, how He is doing it in each of our lives, little by little, you know, we're not allowed to eliminate them all at once, and why He's doing it. Because if He does it all at once, we won't be prepared for the place or the destination that He is taking us to. I would encourage you to spend some time to ask God to reveal to you by His Spirit what He is doing in each of your lives. That He is calling, that He is molding, that He is shaping and working with each one of us in our unique situations, our unique relationship with Him to bring glory to His name and to make you and I more like His Son, Jesus. So with that, I pray that you're encouraged, I pray that you're blessed, and I pray that I'll get to see you soon in person. Let's close in prayer. Now, Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the wonderful truths that held within. I thank you that you go before us. I thank you that the battle is yours. I thank you that you've allowed us and granted us to be victorious in your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we leave here today, we will not soon forget that while the battle is yours, while the victory is guaranteed to us in Christ, you've allowed us the chance to do and to be a part of your plan in each of our lives. I ask, Lord, that you will help each of us to recognize your hand at work, to see and to appreciate the grace that's been given to us. And, Father, that we would respond accordingly by laying aside those things that hinder, laying aside those things that entangle, and look unto you as our author and finisher and perfecter of our faith. Thank you that you are the Alpha and Omega, that you are the beginning and the end, that you are the first and the last. And in you, we experience fullness. In you, we will experience victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Joe for that encouraging word and thank you church for tuning in online and joining us in person. Um, that's it for this week. We'll see you online or in person next week. Have a great week.